eight weeks away from college basketball. Another uh, another milestone as we inch closer to the season. Conference previews on this year' podcast, the CBB Central podcast, continue. Brad, I'm pumped up, man. Two months. We already have the ACC in the books, the Pac-12 in the books. Got Big 12 coming up today. Um, how, how was your weekend? I had a uh, I had a very good but uh, frustrating weekend. Uh, so how how was yours? And we'll we'll kick it off with the Big 12. Well, I had to get new tires on my car. Oh, which a guy very expensive. But I did get to watch the first half of St. John's versus the Dominican Republic on my phone while waiting for my car to get ready. Give me, give me the, give me the twenty-second takeaway of watching St. John's versus Dominican Republic from a month ago. I mean, it, if you got me, if 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 you gave me fifteen guesses, I wouldn't have guessed that they'd start Omar Stanley and Joe Soriano four five. But um, <laughs> Soriano looked good. Curbelo yeah. did not look good. That, that was what the stats indicated. Was that Curbelo was, was like? And was, Chris Duarte was on like an absolute heater. Like he was. His shot making was like otherworldly. I mean, he's elite. He's like he's an NBA scorer already. So yeah, he's like a good starting caliber NBA player. Yep. Uh, I love. There's no shooting on, on St. John's. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's an issue. Um, I haven't watched much international strip stuff lately, so maybe I'll go back and watch a little bit as I write some previews before the season. Um, but until then, plug it along. I spent a long weekend watching college football. My birthday Saturday went to watch Northwestern play. They lost. It was very depressing. Uh, and then to make matters worse on said birthday, uh, I'm 23 by the way. Thank you all to, for the uh, well wishes. Got plenty of tweets and everything, including Jeff Goodman telling me I was 19, which I did not appreciate. But thank you, Jeff. Um, but I had a, uh, I, I had, you know, fired up about a sports book and .com and you know, tried to try to hit some parlays, try to try to make some money, try to se- have something to celebrate here and. Uh, had 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 a three legger with with uh, Notre Dame getting upset, which worked. Uh, I bet that at halftime of the Notre Dame game, uh, Iowa State beating Iowa, uh, and then Houston beating Texas Tech, and Houston was uh, went to overtime with Texas Tech. Uh, had a fourth and twenty that they needed to get a stop on to win the game and win me five hundred dollars on a ten dollar bet, and they didn't get the stop and lost the game. And so the Houston Cougars are currently on my uh, naughty list. So. Thank you, Houston, for ruining an otherwise good birthday. Uh, and uh, that is why Kevin should not gamble. It is crazy how much the buy games are worth in football versus oh basketball. Yes. With, like, epitome of brutality in basketball is, like, $80,000. Um, and I saw Marshall. Marshall beat Notre Dame, right? Correct, yes. They got $1.25 million, and then Appalachian – Beat A and M and got 1.5 million. So <laughs> and Georgia Southern got 1.4 to beat Nebraska, which is pretty wild. Um, and then Nebraska fired their coach. Yeah, fired their coach. That actually, that actually does have a basketball tie-in briefly, uh, and then we will get into the Big 12. Um, so Scott Frost, the embattled, no longer head coach at Nebraska, um, he had like a 20 million dollar buyout last offseason, and he restructured his contract to be allowed to basically stay on. With a fifteen million dollar buyout that dropped to seven and a half on October first, so the kind of common thinking was like as soon as Nebraska lost an embarrassing game after October first, they would fire him and eat the seven and a half, and that's a much more palatable number. Uh, 
they lost to Georgia Southern, which is unheard of at Nebraska. I mean, that is a very, very proud program to lose to a, a mid-major, if you will. Um, was it you know, enough to make Nebraska make the move early? Uh, because of that, that means they ate an extra seven and a half. They, they paid Scott Frost 15 to walk away three weeks earlier than they would have if they just waited until, uh, October 1st. Now, it's insane. Right. It, it, well, it's, it's very college football. And I, I've said this before to people, like, I, it dates all the way back to like the, I, I realized this during like the COVID cancellation slash like don't cancel debate. Like, so much of college football is like proving to other people that you care more about winning than other people. Like it, it just like, how can we show that we're invested in winning? How can we like prove that we're very serious about this? Right. And whether it was playing, like playing during COVID or it's facilities, aren't races or, or contracts or whatever is all just like a straight up race uh, to, to, to prove how much you care. And Nebraska had to prove that they care. And, and I do think, and this is where the basketball stuff comes in. I do think that this impacts Fred Hoiberg a little bit because Fred Hoiberg is in a similar spot. He had a crazy buyout. He gets his contract restructured. Um, his buyout will still be $11 million this year. And whoever just ate the extra seven and a half to, to, to pay Scott Frost's buyout, plus whatever they're going to have to pay to get whoever they hire, which will presumably be a substantial sum of money because they're going to go after big name candidates. There just may not be the institutional desire to get rid of Fred Hoiberg. Fred Hoiberg needs to like not just like really not screw up. Like don't lose to Georgia. Don't do the equivalent of losing to Georgia Southern uh, in basketball. I mean, they clearly have at best case scenario, the 13th. No, they, they, they should come in last. They should come in last. Yeah. But I, I, I almost think that Mr. Hoiberg can survive coming in last again, which I don't know. I don't know if I would have said before Scott got fired. But, I mean, also speaking basketball related, I know yeah. on the football side, Texas A&M was committed to spending more than anyone else on NIL. Correct. Seems like it's not going so well, at least through 32 weeks, although in football, not going well and, you know, through two weeks is a death sentence. And then It'll, I saw that won't be a huge deal for A&M. They'll, they'll keep spending money, but continue. I saw John Ruiz said yes. he's going to scale back. Yes. He's going to have like a webinar or, or had a webinar explaining that he's like hemorrhaging money on. Who would, who would have thought that Nigel Pack wasn't worth $400,000 a year to quote unquote life wallet? Well, the season's even started. Well, so, I, don't, I don't think it will. And may, maybe we'll see a, a seismic shift in NIL just after one. One go round. I don't think it'll be seismic. I just think like it'll stop. It'll stop getting one upped every week, right? Like eventually, people will just decide like we're not spending more than five hundred thousand dollars to get a player. Like, it's not. his own fault if he never, if he never yeah. threw he, out the number. Yes, he it, he created. He's never own. peacocking around his bank account, his his life wallet. Yes. Ah, uh, life wallet. Ah, uh, uh, college football. Ah, uh, uh, gambling. So. Rough weekend, uh, rough weekend for me over at Bovada. Rougher weekend for Scott Frost, uh, and rough weekend for AM. Great weekend for the Sun Belt. Great for the Sun Belt. Hope it, hope it helps the league in hoops because it's a fun league of basketball as well. I mean, who uh, knows who's in what conference anymore for, for basketball? Oh, I, I know. Totally forgot. I've, I've had to do it all for, for. Isn't, isn't Monmouth in the CAA now? That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. But the Mac had added a Mount St. Mary's to replace them. 
and somebody else too, right? Or no, just just Mount for now. But they could do another one soon, eventually. Now Bryant's in the America East. Bryant's in the America. Brooks in the CAA. <laughs> Correct. Oh my God. Yes, sir. We're never um, Yes. Well, there is some realignment in the Big 12. Plenty of realignment. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma will eventually be departing. Um, seems tentatively that's supposed to happen in 24-25, so two years away. Um, but theoretically, it could happen earlier. It's certainly possible. It's, uh, it's expected that the American schools jumping in, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, all join the league for next season, 23-24 as well as BYU. So that would make some interesting uh, interesting moves if Texas and Oklahoma are still around at that point. But um, we'll deal with that when we get to it, um, because for now what we have is a very good 10-team league in basketball, the most consistently strong high-major conference in the sport, the league that has produced the last two champions now with Baylor winning it in 21, Kansas winning it in 2022, uh, obviously cutting down the nets, back in New Orleans in April, which feels very long ago. Um, but this league is in good shape to be really strong again. The recruiting is at a high level. Um, there's decent player retention, I think, throughout this league. Like, when you look at this this throughout, like, you see pretty much every team has one or two guys where you feel like, okay, that's a that's a returning commodity, uh, which I think is exciting. Uh, and, I, and I certainly think that the coaching in this league, you know, jumps off the page in terms of the – caliber of coach i mean obviously like we can take jerome tang out of this because he's a first year head coach um but like the least accomplished coach in this league is either tj otzelberger who went to the sweet 16 last year or mike boynton who had the number one overall pick in the draft got a four seed like has built great team beat the national champions last year like the caliber of coaching in this league the caliber of play in this league is really really strong uh, and so, Brad, I'm very much looking forward to diving into it. Um, as we always do, we start with the team that came in first place, uh, and we work our way down from last season, uh, which means we start with Kansas, the defending national champions, who had 34 and 6 overall. Um, I think throughout the year, Brad, we both kind of felt like Kansas was very good, but maybe not like elite, elite. And yeah, kind of inspiring. Yeah, the, the, they didn't, they didn't pass the sniff test. Like, you, yes. you weren't overwhelmed by their roster. Correct. I mean, and, and, into the I, tournament, I was telling everyone that Providence was was going to beat Kansas. I mean, I and, still remember that. I had and a great I, and conversation. And then I thought Villanova was going to beat him, and then I thought Duke was going to beat him. But then when it was UNC-Kansas and Baycott was hobbled, and Kansas-Villanova and Justin Moore was hobbled, um, it seemed pretty clear that Kansas was going to ride – you know, Brown and Agbaji and this really solid group of guys. McCormick played really well uh, to a championship. I had a hilarious conversation. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, um, but the night before the championship game, uh, I was at dinner with a bunch of people in the college basketball world and was talking to an agent, uh, and we were joking about, you know, like what it takes to truly win it all. Uh, and he said, like, it, we, we were talking about, like, who is the best coach in the country with K gone, and we were debating whether it should be self. Uh, and Pete, and the agent said to me, he said, Kansas is going to win the national championship tomorrow, and I'm not even sure they're any good. Hmm. Like, 
and it, it is that's like overly strong words probably but like I think for a lot of the year Kez just felt like a good but not great basketball team and they they had a good road certainly to go get through the tournament um barely survived Creighton obviously in the second round um without Kalkbrenner without, yeah, without Kalkbrenner but with experience and tough shot makers and different guys stepping up on different nights it was enough to win a national championship. Certainly a lot of new faces from that championship team. Um, Oche Agbaji gone to the Utah Jazz by way of the Cavaliers. Christian Brown off to the Denver Nuggets. De- David McCormick uh, off to the professional ranks. Remy Martin off to the professional rank, uh, ranks. Jalen Coleman-Lands and Mitch Lightfoot, uh, two other rotation players, somehow done with college basketball after many, 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 many years. A combined 13 years. And it feels like longer somehow. Uh, so it's a different looking Kansas group that will take the court this season, but it's also a very talented Kansas team because, uh, Bill Self really for the first time since the FBI scandal has brought in the star studded freshman class. Grady Dick, MJ Rice, Ernest Uday, uh, the three headliners for this, uh, this class, all top 40 recruits, all guys that you should expect to contribute right away. You've got experienced well-regarded recruits or guys who've gotten a little bit of time under their belt who are well-regarded like a Zach Clements, a Bobby Pettiford, um, uh, KJ Adams. And, and then you've got some veterans, you know, Dewan Harris, the outstanding defensive minded point guard, Kevin McCuller, who transferred from Texas tech and is uh, again, one of the better defenders in the sport. Um, Jalen Wilson, you know, the starting power forward on that championship team uh, who averaged 11 and seven and will be an all big 12 caliber guy this year. So, um, I think when you look at this group, certainly enough to be in the top 10 mix once again. Um, I think initially in my head, I said, you know, maybe they don't have a great true best player, but I think the more I look at Jalen Wilson comparative to other guys nationally, he has to be considered to be a pretty good best player just because he, you know, he's a returning 12 and eight guy from a championship team. So it's, it's interesting because when I did my top 100 players, I obviously didn't think of it conference by conference. But now we're we're going through these previews, and I'm looking through it with a conference lens. If you would ask me without looking at my list, who the best player in in the Big 12 was, I I would hem and haw, and I'm not sure what I'd come up with. I'd probably do a million qualifiers before every candidate. It turns out the guy who I had on my top 100 player list, by far the best player, was Keontae George. They don't feel great about. What I think the Big 12 does extremely well is, I mean, for this, for this up, upcoming year, is there's a ton of guys nationally who are like 30th to 100th best players. I think, you know, guys like Tyrese Hunter and... Um, Adam Flagler, Jalen Wilson. Every every team has guys. I think Kansas has two of the better guys in that group with Kevin McCullough and Jalen Wilson, which puts them with two play, two of the best five or six guys in the Big 12. But I I, I do think it's reasonable to be concerned um, with either of those guys being your best player. Now, McCullough, you, you, you could probably make an argument that he was. I know you would probably say Bryson Williams, but I I would hear out an argument that he was Texas Tech's best player last year on a very good team that you know yeah. relied on on defense and, and showed to be kind of 
injury proof when, when a certain guys went down. But I think Wilson more so than 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 McCullough is their biggest X factor because he didn't really elevate to that NBA prospect level that we thought he was going to be coming into the year. But still had a great year. He can really attack the rim. Uh, has great size for the four spot. Good athlete. Just needs to shoot that ball better. So, so I think that the the thing that's interesting about Wilson, and and you kind of alluded to it, right? Like, if Wilson was coming off his freshman season or his retro freshman season, um, where he averaged, you know, basically eleven and seven, uh, and was coming back into the best player, you'd say, wow, like huge breakout candidate nationally, like could become one of the, you know, five to ten best players in the sport, all American, yada yada yada. Um, but because he came back and did the exact same thing in year two, it kind of feels like Jalen Wilson already hit his ceiling. And I don't know that that's true, um, but I do think it's something that you have to kind of grapple with. Is like, I don't think the vision of Jalen Wilson we've had for the last few years is a guy that like you run a lot of stuff for, the type of guy that you like, like, like a traditional kind of best player mold. Um, but I think he's really good, and I thought he played really, really well at the combine uh, and the uh, G League camp. He Ran the floor much better than he did. He looked leaner. Uh, he was making shots. His, his touch looked really good. He, as you said, he's excellent attacking the basket, and he gets a lot of um, a lot of kind of buckets without you having to draw up anything for him, which I love. Which I love with him. So I think with Wilson and McCullough, like again, the top end talent is on an issue. They just don't necessarily have a traditional like best player throw the ball to him in crunch time guy. Especially when you consider the fact that. Dewan Harris is very defensive-minded at the point guard spot. And Grady Dick, who I, I like, is doesn't have a lot off the bounce yet. He, he's definitely not a super explosive athlete. He's not someone I think you're going to run a bunch of stuff for to go off the dribble. I think he's going to be a guy, more of a spot-up guy. Uh, and, and, and even up front, I mean, you don't have a guy like McCormick to throw it into, right? Uday is really talented, but I don't think you're going to be throwing it to on the block the way you did it with David McCormick. So, uh, I, I guess my question, my biggest question when I look at this Kansas team, I think they can be great defensively. I think they 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 certainly you know have the pedigree to be very good. But it's like who who's the bucket guy? Is it someone like Joe Yesifu or Bobby Pettiford? I'm really big on Pettiford. I think Pettiford could have a really good year. Is it MJ Rice? Like where where how does this all shake out? Who's the guy that can give them that extra scoring pop that I think they'll need if they want to seriously contend for another national championship? It is really interesting because this Kansas roster is really filled with uncertainty. And it's not it's not the bad type of, of uncertainty. It's not like Clemson's roster or um, NC State's roster or something like that. It, I mean, they have legit, pedigreed, high-profile high guys that they're choosing from at a couple of different spots. I think we can safely assume that McCullough and Wilson will both – be in the closing five or starting five, however you want to view it. And Harris, like I think the, too. the buzz is with Grady Dick uh, joining them on the wing, six foot eight, right? Really, really shoots it well. Has a good floor game. Ended up being a five star. Um, I think a real interesting question is with the point guard spot, because unless you're going small. You're probably gonna have to pick between Dewan Harris and Bobby Pettiford. This situation is it shares a little similarity with the old Michigan State Tum Tum Nairn versus Cassius Winston, where Tum Tum Nairn was the starter the year before, defensive minded, glue guy, defends, 
Um, Cash Winston was the highly touted recruit who had his ups and downs as a freshman. But at some point, based on the talent, we needed to swap him. And now that situation is a little different because Dewan Harris, I think, is much better than Tum Tum Nairn. He's also bigger. Um, and I think Cassius Winston, obviously, is much better and much different than than uh, Bobby Pettiford as well. So Harris and Pettiford are a little closer talent-wise, even though Pettiford has that upside. So how do you view the the Kansas point guard shaking out? I think you have to assume that Harris is going to be a crunch time contributor. He's going to be a guy who plays 30 minutes a game. Just because of the way that they re- they relied on him last year, the way that they were willing to ride him defensively, um, over Remy Martin at times. Like, to me, that was a big statement. Um, and I, I also don't think, Brad, like, I I think if Pettiford or MJ Rice, one of the two, becomes that really solid scorer, they can play small and just swap out Dick. Or, right, like, I, I think I, – I don't think that's too small. We saw them do it last year. Like, they made runs in the national championship game with Harris and Remy Martin on the floor together. So I, I, I don't I don't know that that's a huge issue. Um, but I do, I do think you're right, like on the general kind of theory of uncertainty, right? Of like, there's three guards who I have off the bench, right? Pettiford, Rice, and Yasufu, who all theoretically could give you that scoring enough that you feel pretty good that it's going to come. You just don't know where exactly it's coming from. You've got these front court options, Uday, uh, KJ Adams, Clements, even Cam Martin, uh, the Division II transfer redshirted last year. You're not exactly sure how these minutes are going to get broken up, but you feel pretty decent that like some of some one of these guys is going to be good enough. Right? I thought Clement showed flashes last year. I certainly thought Adams did defensively. Um, so and Adams played played in some crunch yeah. time situations as a small ball five. Clements when when he got in there, I think mostly at the five, if not exclusively at the five, you know, lit it up. I mean, he he was clearly a super talented offensive player. And he also was coming off an injury, too. Clements? Yes, the foot. He had a foot. And then it seems like every preview has had Uday as a starting five. I don't know if that's because he more resembles the traditional, um, you know, David McCormick, Jeff Withy type of center. Um, uh, Hidoka Azabuki, all these kind of big, strong, traditional five men. Or if he's actually in the lead there. Uh, and then you mentioned Cam Martin, 60-year senior, was a Division II All-American. Um, wonder if he redshirted because he, he like the rest of the country, thought uh, Jalen Wilson would be off to the NBA by now. But um, we'll have to see how how that squares away. You know, Wilson can can play some five as well. He did that during his freshman his redshirt freshman year. Um, but I think overall, I mean, I I have Kansas win, winning the league again. Ooh. I, I mentioned the uncertainty, but I think that the that there's really like an abundance of talent here. You know, at a, that Clements, Adams, Uday trio in, in the front court, they they each bring out a different quality as a, a, as a potential five. And you know, one of those guys probably gets boxed out, but I still think that they're you know like a legit high major contributor. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I actually am back in Baylor to win the league. I have Kansas second in the conference, uh, and I believe tenth nationally. Let me just I have tenth as well. So you're very low on Baylor. I have, ninth. Ninth. I have ninth. So I I will double check right now, but I believe I have Baylor eleventh. 
I have Kansas nine. Um, yes, I, I have Kansas ten, Baylor eleven. So, okay. Semantics again. Bovada is with you. Bovada has Kansas fourteen to one uh, to win the to win the whole thing, and that is the best odds among Big Twelve teams. So, uh, slightly edging out Baylor's. So, on that should, front, should we move to Baylor now? Yeah, we should. Baylor was the second team to tie for the championship in the Big Twelve uh, a season ago. Uh, and they have a lot, lot back, a lot of reasons for optimism. Weird year, you know, coming off the title. They started so strong. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, how did we underrate Baylor and Scott Drew? This team is, you know, electric. This team is so good. Um, and then a lot happened. They had injuries to LJ Cryer, who was their leading scorer at one point. Um, they had a big injury late in the year to Jonathan Chamochachua. Uh, just well, a devastating year, leg right? injury. It seems like the expectation is that if they get Chamochachua this year at all, it would be later in the season. Um, he's certainly very, he's still not close to return. Um, so I think that's something that we might be able to evaluate as we get close, get, get to conference play. But I'm working under the assumption that you're not going to see Chamochachua. Uh, that was a devastating leg injury. Hopefully he'll be able to return at some point in his career. Um, they also had an injury early in the season, the Langston Love, uh, so all in all, I mean, this this team was just gutted with injuries. Despite that, they still, you know, get a one seed, share the Big, Big 12 title uh, before playing a incredible game in the NCAA tournament against North Carolina where they were down huge, rallied back in rather unthinkable fashion before losing uh, in overtime. That was a really entertaining game. Uh, definitely a new look team coming in this year. They lose James Akinjo, who was a big part of what they did. I was never the biggest Akinjo fan. Um, even last season when he played better, but you know, obviously he was still a very important piece. They lose their versatile front court pieces, Kendall Brown, Matthew Meyer, Jeremy Sohan, Brown and Sohan off the pros, Meyer transfers to Illinois. Um, we mentioned the uncertainty with Sean Wachachua as well. Uh, but Adam Flagler back, LJ Cryer back and healthy, Flo Thamba, uh, back as a fifth year guy at the, uh, at the five. And then Dale Bonner, uh, Fran Fraschilla's least favorite player, uh, back for one more year. But the talent coming in is huge. Keontae George, Jalen Bridges, uh, Langston Love gets healthy, uh, and he should be back into the mix. Uh, Josh Ojian Wuna, who's really, really talented and could contribute for them up front. Caleb Lohner, uh, from BYU. They did a nice job, I think, piecing together a roster that is going to be really, really dangerous. I mean, Jalen Bridges is a first-round pick in Jeremy Wu's mock draft. I think that's a little aggressive. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Three and D. What? Yeah. Jalen Bridges famously the only person I've ever seen to get his crystal ball pick switched four times. <laughs> they they hit each one of his finalists. Well, eventually they land on Baylor. So you you may not buy the Jalen Bridges first round love. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical, but I trust Jeremy's eye quite a bit. So um I do think he'll look much better in this system than West Virginia's because um and I think this is a good way to kind of kick off Baylor, like they have three really, really skilled ball handlers who can make shots at a high level, uh, who can distribute. And I think that spacing to go with a you kind of energy five man and Tamba, um and then pair it up with like a high level defender combo forward rebounder extraordinaire and bridges. 
that's going to be really dangerous on both ends of the floor. And they're going to be really, really hard to guard because uh, I think you'll be able to see some looks not that dissimilar to what you saw with Jared Butler and Macy Oteague and Davion Mitchell of just like space you out. Everybody's knocking down shots. Uh, you've got this physical, talented front court, uh, but you know, just putting you in ball screens and taking advantage of mismatches. And I think that's the real appeal with this Baylor group. When you see three man weave has Baylor at three nationally, uh, that's why is the, the appeal of this backcourt, uh, and, and the talent, you know, and I, I do have some questions about the bench. You know, I mentioned Chamuchachua's uncertainty, Bonner, who wasn't great last year, Caleb Lohner, who really struggled at BYU, he's probably going to have to play big minutes. Uh, Life's Love is coming off the ACL. Uh, <clears throat> The rest of the bench rather unproven. Dantuan Grimes is a Juco kid that I haven't heard a ton of positive things about from other coaches who are in that mix recruiting wise. So the front court is a little thin. Um, they probably could have added one more guard, but man, oh man, that starting five looks really, really talented. So I guess the reasons why I'm relatively down on Baylor. I mean, I have 11. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't see Jalen Bridges like that at all. I mean, I didn't even he didn't even enter my brain as a top one hundred player. Like not even close. I mean he's he he's someone who definitely more prospect than player, I guess would be the Yeah, point. I, I I was using him to illustrate what the transfer market was like. Um I I, I will pull up his last year. Because, you know, it, it it's transfer season and you know the fan base are saying, okay, we need X, Y, and Z in the transfer portal. And I'd say, look, Jalen Bridges, he he had offers from everybody, right? And, and ends up going to Baylor, who's one of the hottest programs in the country right now. He averaged eight points, five rebounds, and shot 33% from three on one of the worst teams in the Big 12. And, and he was coveted as, you know, one of the, the best prospects. I think he'll be a fine starting power forward. Um, Could Jalen Bridges do Mark Vital things for this team? Well, I was going to bring that up as a difference between the Baylor team that you mentioned, which I do agree the backcourts have a similar quality. Um, that Baylor team that won the national championship. Um, with this one, is you had the three guards, but then you had Mark Mark Vital that was like such like a glue guy, physical. Um, do it all type of player. Jalen Bridges is a better athlete, but I don't know if he has the same level of, I guess, physicality and versatility. Like, Vital was such a unique player who could rebound, handle the ball. He he could do all the dirty work. I I don't quite know if if, if Bridges can match uh, an, an A plus glue guy like Vital. And then. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that Baylor team's five spot was JTT and Tamba, right? Correct. So now it's just Tamba. And I've seen a lot of people kind of float Tamba as a breakout guy. That That's not float Tamba. You know, he's a very good, like, big physical defender and finisher. Taking him I, I as a breakout taking him as a breakout guy is just like a lazy, like, oh, well, he's going to play 30 minutes instead of 20. Yeah, I don't really see him making an offensive jump. Um, and behind him, you know, you got a freshman um, and Ojemuna, and then 
Zach Loveday, who's a completely different player who's been around forever. He's more of a finesse guy. So you don't have that two-headed monster, at least on paper, um, relying a lot on on Thamba defensively. And then the backcourt is is really talented. I, I mentioned I had George as the as the best player in the conference. I had Adam Flagler as the third best player in the conference, both top twenty-five players. I had L.J. Cryer in my top one hundred. Um, but that that national championship team, I mean. Davion Mitchell was like an all-time defender. I don't know if they have that level of of defender in, in, in that backcourt to try to make up for the lack of size. And Jared Butler and Macy O.T. were no no slouches themselves. I mean, two two NBA first-round picks. Um, Macy O.T. was not a first-round pick. Macy O.T. was not a first-round pick, just for... No, Jared right. Butler and Davion Mitchell were. Oh yes, I'm sorry. You said you, you said Jared Butler and and uh, Macy Teague were no slouches, and then you said two NBA first round picks, and oh, I no. thought you were you were referring to Macy Teague. My apologies. Macy Teague got an Exhibit Ten with the Utah Yes. Um, so I, while I think this could be the best backcourt in the country, you you could make that 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 argument. I don't think it, it compares to that national championship Baylor backcourt. Fair enough. Um, so I have them sixth nationally. You said you have them eleventh. Yeah. Uh, Bovada has them fifteen to one. Same odds as Arkansas, just below Kansas, uh, at fourteen to one. So and just just for background for anyone who didn't listen during the final stretches of the season, the the uh, Dale Bonner thing, and it, it wasn't just Fran Fraschilla, but Fran, Fran Fraschilla on he does a lot national, of big things. national broadcast, ESPN, was like, you want to know. <laughs> how bad Baylor's injury situation is, they've got Dale Bonner out there. <laughs> he said, I mean, that was, that was pretty harsh. I mean, you know my my policy on buying the second-year transfers, so uh, well, hopefully, hopefully Dale will, Bonner has some redemption this year. I will say, like, two months into the season, I was getting a couple of, like, mid-major, one-bid-league coach texts being like, do you think we can get Dale Bonner? I heard he's got a portal. And uh, Dale eventually did not portal. But that tells you, like, the level of interest in Mr. Bonner. All right, who, who's next here? Uh, next up, we will go to the third-place team in last year's Big 12, which was none other than Texas Tech, who had a Undoubtedly successful first season under Mark Adams, 27 and 10 overall. They go to the Sweet 16. They lose to Duke on a very, very entertaining game. They come in third in the Big 12, two games off the, the lead, um, but beat Kansas. Um, I believe they beat Baylor as well. Um, the big deal was that they were better than Texas, which was like a statement with the whole Chris Beard arrangement. Yes, they did beat Baylor. They won at Baylor um, in early I believe January. Was without McCullough and Shannon. Or some combination of, of two. But. That that is correct. Their starting lineup that game was Clarence Nadolny, uh, Adon- Adonis Arms, Bryson Williams, Davion Warren, and Kevin O'Banner. Clarence Nadolny had 17 points. That's unbelievable. Anyway, great year for Texas Tech. Unbelievable year. Go to the scene. Really could have made a Final Four. They were that good. Um, tons of new faces, though. Williams gone, Warren gone, Arms gone, McCuller gone, Shannon gone, Santos Silva gone, Nadolny gone, Malik Wilson gone. That is 
eight of their top nine scorers from a season ago all departing. So it's a new look group. Um, the only returner is Kevin O'Banner who comes back for a COVID year. Um, they got so much, so much mileage out of these mid-major transfers. Warren and Arms in particular. Arms got a two-way, I believe. Um, just, you know, an unbelievable rise for him. And I think that gives you some confidence that some of these transfers that they brought in. Demorian Williams from Gardner Webb, Davion Harmon, Jalen Tyson, uh, Fardaz Amak, uh, Kerwin Walton, that those guys will be able to contribute right away. And there's also some talented freshmen in this mix as well, uh, with Pop Pop Isaacs and Elijah Fisher. Uh, so, so the talent level is certainly not low here, uh, for Texas Tech. And I think you trust the defense will be really good, which is why it'd be foolish to have Texas Tech in my mind outside of your top 20. I think with the defense, and with the talent up front in particular, I think this is a pretty clear, like, top 20 team in college basketball. Well, I, I have to disagree because I have them 23rd. Wow. So I I didn't realize that I was low on Texas Tech either. But I guess so – You may not be. I don't – I haven't looked enough nationally. I just I just know I feel very – like, I, I, I feel pretty strongly this should be a top 20 team. That, that's a little confusing for me because I know that you're not a Davion Harmon guy. Correct. Who's now the starting point guard. You're not yeah. a Kerwin Walton guy either. Correct. I'm not a huge Kerwin Walton guy. Who, he can really shoot it, uh, but he, he doesn't do much else. I mean, so where is the optimism coming from? Is it are, – are are you a big Fardaz guy? Like, so a few things here. Um, I really like the front court with O'Banner and Fardos. I think Fardos statistically maybe is a little overrated just because of what he was able to accomplish, like putting up numbers at Utah Valley. But like <clears throat> the thing with him is not only is he a really good rebounder and he's like relatively mobile, but he also makes shots. Like he can he can legit step out and make a three, and I think that's going to do wonders for their offense. Um, I think in general, like their, their defense, we know is going to be really, really good. They're going to have two guys you can count on to score the ball at the four and the five. Um, Jalen Tyson was a top 40 recruit, um, top 30, I believe, uh, gets a kind of a red shirt year, which is rare in this day and age. I think that will help him. And while I don't love Davion Harmon, I don't think it's necessarily a horrible point guard situation. I think the shooting with DeMorean Williams and Kerwin Walton is excellent. I think Elijah Fisher brings a lot to the table defensively. And if they needed any more help defensively, Bacho is an awesome kind of enforcer center. I love Bacho. Bacho was so underrated last year. And I just, I just think like at the end of the day, like I know they're going to guard. I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt to Adams with regards to some of these transfers, given the mileage he got out of you know, Adonis Arms and Davion Warren a season ago, and Bryson Williams as well. Um, and I, I just think that, like, it would be hard for me to – they have one of the best home court environment uh, advantages in college basketball. That helps them as well. Like, I, I, I feel pretty strongly this should be a top 20 team. I'm, I think, 17th. Let me confirm that. But the transfers that they got last year, you know, guys like Arms and Warren, um, to, to go along with – McCuller, I mean, they they were long, they were versatile, they were positionless. Jalen Tyson, long, versatile, positionless. DeMorian Williams, elite 3 and D. 
Yeah, but they're going to have Walton and, Elijah, and Harmon out there, and Elijah know. Fisher, long defensive, you know, defensive minded, big class guy though. Fisher, true. Um, Isaacs is like a traditional freshman point guard. Not sure how big Washington is, but I don't think he's like that. That that build of like a Warren or or arms where they're just super. They love Omar Washington. Uh, I know a lot of people who are big fans of Omar Washington. I don't know if he'll get on the floor this year just because they're. Crowded, but he's really talented. Yeah, I, I, I think that the, the the X factor for this team is, is Tyson. Who, looking at the roster, it looks like he's going to start at that three spot. Yep. Blank slate. You know, couldn't beat out guys like Timmy Allen and Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey and those guys at at Texas who are older and more experienced, but now. You know, he he could be anything. I mean, he could be a best player on this team, or he could you know, not even play. Anything's on the table uh, for the former fringe five-star, top thirty-ish recruit. Yes, that he is definitely the X factor here. I and I, I am you know to say that they're quite on twenty team. You're you're definitely counting on him and DeMorian Williams and or Kerman Walton to give you really solid production. I just think they will. I, I'm a believer here. Uh, I know Bovada has them 30 to one to win it all nationally, um, which is a pretty, pretty good mark uh, for them. It's like that's around 15th nationally uh, if you're into reading into that. So um, I, I think, I think very highly of this team. I have Texas ahead of them. I don't know how good I feel about that. I think you probably do too, Brad. Yeah, just a couple spots. Uh, which actually, I believe, is a good transition to bring us to Texas. Um, yes, indeed it is. Who came in fourth in the Big 12 last year. I think a victim of expectation, without question. Absolutely. I mean, not so, 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 so. It was a major publication who had them at number two in the preseason. <laughs> yeah, I know Jeff Gilpin did. I, no, I didn't. No. The, the, it was another one too. You know, very yeah, famous magazine. There was yes. Uh, so definitely expectation. This was not a great team, I mean. They played ugly basketball. Um, they didn't really have big wins. They only go ten and eight in the league. They go only to the second round of the NCAA tournament. But it is probably worth like at least remembering that that team had the highest Ken Palm Ken Palm finish for Texas by nine spots, mind you. Since the 2011 Rick Barnes team, like over a decade ago, they got a four seed. Shaka never team. made the second round, right? Shaka never made the second round. Shaka was 26. Yep, and he was cool. Abilene. Yep, and he was 26th in Ken Palm the year that they lost Abilene. Part of that was they dropped a little bit after that loss, but they were still only 23rd. Like they had dropped out. So this was a really good year still for Texas. Um, it just never felt comfortable. Guys didn't feel like they were in the right spots. The Trey Mitchell fiasco midseason. Uh, Dylan Disu was injured and in and out of the lineup. Christian Bishop really struggled early on to kind of fit into a role. The Devin Askew experiment failed. Like, a lot went wrong. But at the end of the day, like, Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen uh, kind of carried this thing across the finish line and made them a competent team. Uh, and, and I think that with those two guys back and the talent that they bring in, the upside's really, really high for this group this season because they've got two really good point guards in Carr 
uh, and Tyrese Hunter, who comes in from Iowa State, I think probably the best player who changed hands this offseason in the portal. Um, you have Allen back to go with Dylan Mitchell, who's just extremely talented, top 10 potential prospect in the draft, uh, six, seven, six, eight, rangy, athletic wing forward who can do a lot, can be very versatile. Um, get Christian Bishop back to play the five. And then this talented sixth man in Arterio Morris. I know there were questions, um, regarding a, uh, I don't want to speak incorrectly here, but there were allegations made on Instagram, uh, by a girlfriend slash, um, relationship in some form with Arturo Morris that were pretty ugly. Uh, I think if you Google it, you can find the details. Uh, it doesn't seem as though there's any punishment looming for Mr. Morris, despite that. Uh, if that changes, we'll let you know, but, uh, certainly an upside piece if he's able to be on the floor for this Texas team. Um, and I do think that the depth is really solid as well. They brought in the kid Jabari Rice from New Mexico State. They have Disu back, who could be a bounce-back candidate. Uh, Brock Cunningham is back again for another year. So um, a really strong top nine, multiple ball handlers, a elite you know NBA-level prospect in Mitchell. Tons, tons of intrigue with this Texas group. So I think that the biggest question mark is the Tyrese Hunter Marcus Carr backcourt? Yes. How how does that fit? Carr can really shoot, really score. Uh, he, he's been mired with claims of inefficiency because of the load that he's had to carry. Um, but this this is this is his year to prove that he he could be you know an efficient secondary type of guy next to Hunter, um, who is a burgeoning star. I I know that you love Tyrese Hunter. You were crestfallen when he left Iowa State, um, but I think he lands in a pretty decent situation here. It was probably NIL-related uh, because they already had one of the best point guards in college basketball, Marcus Carr. Uh, I mean, people might raise their eyebrows at that, but he's easily like a top 10, 15 point guard. Um, so that backcourt is going to be super dynamic. It's going to be super interesting to see how that plays out. The thing, the thing that I worry about with that, right, is like Carr has always been somewhat ball dominant, and he's never been super efficient. You know, and we said last three. year, this is the year that he's going to be not as ball dominant, but that Texas offense just yeah. was just so brutal that they just pounded it into the ground. Out. Yeah, and he shot under forty percent again from the field. Like that's that's an issue. And theoretically, he's going to be less ball dominant this year. Theoretically, I, I mean, it would be really bad for this offense if Tyrese Hunter is playing a bunch off the ball. Tyrese Hunter's not an off ball guy. Tyrese Hunter is a point guard. He's not a great shooter. He's a prober. Um, I know him and Brockington kind of shared the load a little bit, but like it needs to be at worst a 50 50 deal. Like the ball needs to be in Tyrese's hands. The ball needs to be in Carr's hands. I hope that they open it up more and play more ball screen. Um, that they did last year. It was just so ugly last year. So much. It's, it felt like Beard was trying to put a, put a square peg in a round hole too often. Um, and I, I do think that that was a problem. I hope that they open it up a little bit more offensively. Um, I think the other question I guess you might have would be the Mitchell Allen 3 4, especially with Bishop, who's not a shooter at the five. Is there enough spacing here? Especially with Hunter not being a great shooter. Even Carr has not shot great in his career statistically. Do you think they're going to have to play smaller at times and, you know, put another guard on the floor to just space it out? 
could DSU, excuse me, could DSU help with that? Like, so I, I, I think they added Rice for the shooting. I mean, his, his shooting numbers don't jump off the page, but high volume at New Mexico State. So like really good year, defender as well. Really good yeah, defender. Last year he was 34% from three on five attempts a game. So I, I, I guess you figure scale him down. You know, he's the fifth option on offense and just add, add some nice floor spacing off, off the bench or maybe you can crack the starting lineup because Mitchell's not a shooter. Uh, and then Timmy Allen's a very adept scorer, but not much of a three-point shooter himself. Dylan Disu, I think, is perhaps the biggest X factor on this team. He was hurt last year. At, at Vanderbilt, he put up monster numbers. And he was consi- I mean, he, he was he was a good recruit, and he was considered you know, as a potential NBA guy. Not not a lock, but he, he was someone seen in the mix before last season. Um, and now if, if he can play some five now when Bishop's off or pl- play some four. And, I mean, at, at Vanderbilt, he had like 18 a game. He was he was 15 and nine his sophomore year at Vanderbilt. I mean, that's, that's huge numbers for the SEC. On 49% for the field and 30, not 37% for three. He was awesome. And I think the thing was last year, he just looked immobile. He looked uncomfortable and immobile. And I think obviously part of that, I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily like a super pliable, versatile athlete anyway, but like, I think he was made even less mobile by the fact that he was coming off a knee injury, never looked comfortable. That's a huge X factor. I think you're 100% right. Um, I still don't necessarily think the pieces here fit together perfectly, but like a lot of talent. A lot of talent. Um, there's a ton of talent. They've got a new arena. I think there should be excitement here for 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 Texas basketball. Um, they're forty to one uh, over at Bavada to win it all, which feels low. Like a coach who's been to the doorstep of the title before in Beard. Talent, experience. I mean, I would, I would sprinkle that. Like, I, I, I like, I like this group. I don't want to fall in love, but I, I think they're going to be really good. I have them, I believe, twelfth nationally. Yes, twelfth nationally. I think that that they'll probably be a, a, as good as they are, or a, as good as they were this past season, except without. Without the hype, without the nagging, um, failing expectations, I had them 17. Fair enough. So you're a little lower just generally on the Big 12, I think, based on these rankings. Because I mean, I have five, five top 25 teams. Right. But it seems consistently you're just like a few spots lower on every team. Like even Kansas, I have one spot ahead of you. Well, I think that there's going to be at least one more team, if not two more teams, that I'm higher on than thinking. Let's, let's see. Uh, I believe our next team up is TCU. Let me confirm that. Uh, it is TCU. TCU went eight and ten in the league last year, twenty-one thirteen. That's enough to go to the NCAA tournament. They they put on a clinic in non-conference scheduling to uh, make the NCAA tournament because when you play in a league conference, because I know everyone wants everyone to play a tough schedule. I get it. I really do. 
when you play in the Big 12 and you get 18 league games against that league, you really don't need to play anyone. They played Utah, they played A&M, and they played Georgetown, which means they didn't play a, not, a tournament team out of conference. And that's okay. They had a perfectly fine resume because they knew that if they ran up wins, they were going to be in the NCAA tournament as long as they went 8-10 and 10 in the league. And they did, and they cruised into the NCAA tournament. They blew out Seton Hall. They played really, really well against Arizona. And now they basically run it back. Mike Miles back at point guard. Damian Baugh back next to him. He was really good uh, for them. Had, had a great year. Um, bring back Emmanuel Miller and Eddie Lampkin in the front court. Micah Peavy. Um, they do lose Farabello. Like, this is not, you know, so there's, there's a couple kind of small departures. But really, for the most part, this is the same group. And they add, they add in Rondell Walker uh, from Oklahoma State. They add in uh, potentially Maxwell Evans, who did not play last year. Uh, he was at Vanderbilt at one point, and his collegiate career was solid. So I have seen a little bit probably too much TCU love in some places, kind of um, neglecting the very real flaws that this team had a season ago. But – I think you'd have to consider them one of the highest floor teams in the country, if nothing else. Well, just first on on your point with the scheduling, that's exactly why non-conference strength of schedule should be considered like tournament. I mean, now TC was was too good to really be penalized for that. Correct. It's not like you could eliminate them from the tournament. But we we've seen with the with the um, with the net, how how you schedule now? You need a couple of of of, of, of chances to make a a statement, and then just schedule the, the local teams close by and hope that you blow them out. When you're in a league like the Big Twelve, where where, where the rising tide lifts all boats, and everyone's in like the top thirty at Ken Palm, you didn't even need to have a, a non-conference test. You could just coast. And now we, we've we've seen it cut the other way with Michigan State. I, I think has made a grave error, where they have like six oh tests, six teams that I might rank ahead of them that they're playing in the non-conference, out of eleven non-conference games plus a twenty-game Big Ten schedule. That could that's that's something to, to monitor early in the season. But back back to the TCU team, I have them sixteenth. I, I have them one spot ahead of Texas. Again, I, I'm not seeing a huge jump from them, like I think some people might might have, but like a nice tick up. Ken Palm said it best. I I don't remember it, if it was in regards to TCU or Houston last NCAA tournament, but sometimes the best offense is just putting the ball in the rim and letting your bigs go get it. Um, and with these big space eaters like Eddie Lampkin and Emmanuel Miller, Jacoby Coles, like these are big physical front court players who can and, and even even on, on the perimeter like Ball's a great athlete PV's a great athlete oh Bannon's got great size I mean they are they're big they're physical and their lack of shooting doesn't really matter when you can just cl- clean on the offensive glass with these huge dudes yeah I'm, I'm 22nd nationally uh excuse me 23rd which all things considered is not bad so why why Texas Tech over TCU then? Uh, defense for one. 
Is it Texas have a bad defense? No, but Texas Tech had the best defense in the country last year. And Mark yeah. Adams has and been a we part lost of how, what eight of their top nine. Yeah, that defense. Mark, 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 since Mark Adams got there after their first year to learn the system, Mark Adams has had four, one, nine, eighteen, and one defensive efficiencies in Ken Palm. So, floor is pretty high there. Talent levels better, I think, as well. Texas Tech. I mean, isn't isn't Mike Miles better than anyone on Texas Tech? I mean, I would accept an argument for Kevin O'Banner over Mike Miles. Well, wow. uh, so 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 I guess here's my thing with that with TCU, and here here's why I'm calling him back a little bit. Yes, you're right. Like 100 percent beneficial the fact that they put the ball on the rim, but they do spoil some of that edge because of the other things that they don't do particularly well. Uh, and here's a few things that they don't do particularly well. They turn it over at a really high high clip. They were 330th in turnover rate last season. And that's with Baugh and Mike Miles, who were experienced guys. You know, they were in, they were in their, you know, second and third years in college basketball. Uh, and, and they're going to come back. Yes, maybe it could be a little bit better, but those guys were turnover machines last year. And that's, that's an issue. Um, they don't shoot the ball from three. Like you said, I mean, the, the attempts were low. They were 306 nationally in rate, uh, and they were 321st in percentage. They don't make free throws. They were 67% at the free throw line. Like, the, all the possessions that they gain by putting the ball in the rim and going to get in it without Eddie Lankin, like, that's – they give it back a little bit. And, I, and, again, that's not the worst thing. Like, like they've built a top 25 team at TCU that's really freaking hard to do. But I think it's worth slowing up and kind of understanding, like, the, I was high on TCU last year. Remember this, right? Yeah. The reason I was high on them was – Look, I looked at this roster and said, they're just going to bully people. They're going to get rebounds. Like, they're going to find a way. And that's what they did. But, like, that's a Jamie Dixon, like, that's how Jamie Dixon's teams are built. I, I just don't think that, like, he's magically going to become, oh, wow, we're going to take care of the ball better. Like, they've turned it over each of the last three years at a super high clip. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think they're magically going to become a shooting team. They didn't really have anyone to make shots. So, I guess that's where I come down on this. Like maybe Miles shoots it better. He's 29.5% last year. He's probably a better shooter than that. But at the end of the day, I think the thing that holds me back from going higher on this team is I still think they're, like, supremely talented, and I don't think they're going to fix some of the flaws that they had a season ago. I mean, I I know we just went over Damian Boa had a great year. Mike Miles is one of the best guards in college basketball. I know that we're both huge Emmanuel Miller guys. Lampkin took a big jump last year. I think the talent, the the depth is certainly there. Big Lampkin. I mean, if he his best game was on the big stage. The year before, he was like, I I don't know if he played twenty minutes the whole year. The year before, he was like he was like four hundred pounds. Yeah, he had to lose a bunch of weight, so. I think I think again high floor. I don't buy the like top fifteen I've seen from people. Like I I've seen some like top twelve. Just toss them in a ten. It's like an Andy Katz move. I'm not like saying Andy did this himself. I'm just saying like that's a that that's a very like Andy Katz thing to do. Well, like John John Rossi and put Creighton at third, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's a similar principle. Sure. Um. Anyway, off of TCU we go to Oklahoma State who came. Also 8-12, and 
or eight and ten, excuse me, in the conference. Uh, all things considered, I think that's pretty impressive considering they took some losses the non-con to a bad Wichita State team and to Oakland. Um, they were ineligible for the postseason. They had to kind of work through that issue as a team. Uh, they really battled, and I give Mike Boynton credit. They finished the year strong with two wins. They were really, really good defensively, and they should be again to this year. Their front court is just a monster with Musa Cisse blocking, running around blocking shots everywhere he goes. Um, he is a defensive impact guy. They also have Caleb Boone back. They have Tyreek Smith up front, who is a starter for them. Uh, he is a guy who can really block shots. To me, it's just a question of these guards and how good they wind up being, uh, and, and if it's enough. I mean, I think Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson somewhat proven. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Thompson makes a jump. But they had to go into the portal to get a point guard, and they got a scorer and John Michael Wright from High Point, who was a good player. I think probably more mid-plus than high major, but I think he's a guy who could score at least at the high major level. I just don't know that I love him running a team at this level, and that's, I think, the only reason that I'm a little bit lower on Oklahoma State coming into the season. I also don't think they're benched with the transfer they got with Caleb Asbury and Russell Harrison. I don't think those guys really move the needle. So that was another thing that held me back a little bit from being a little bit higher on them. Uh, I've seen some people who are really high on them. I am 43rd nationally, which I might re- regret, but I think, you know, the defense keeps this, keeps the floor very high, but they are going to lose likely, who is a very important piece. Um, and, you know, outside of that, I think they just need a little better point guard play than what they're going to get from Michael Wright. See, I thought I was high on Oklahoma State. And in your rundown of them, I think you had, had like a negative tone. Did it? Like, oh, I, I may regret having them 43rd. Oh, I, I don't like the transfers. No, no, no. I'm, I, I may regret having them 43rd. As in, I, I think I might have went to – I think I should move them. I, I might want to move them up. Oh, okay. Not like, oh, I think they should be like 60th. No. Yeah, because I, I had them 41. I thought I was going to be higher on them than in consensus. I think three men, we've had them at like 30, and it screwed my head. So, I mean – Thompson and Anderson both averaged 12 points a game in a Big 12 play last year. Both those both those guys coming back. You have a super athletic front court. Mike Mike Boynton loves athletic front court. Between Tyreek Smith, Musa Cisse, who had a nice bounce back year, uh, eight seven and two blocks in Big 12 play, and then Caleb Boone, uh, who who needs a bounce back year of his own. One one Boone. One Boone twin transferred one state. That was not something you see every day. Well, hoping for the same thing after losing the commitment of West Rubin, but holding on to Miles, the better twin. Oh, oh so the worst one decommitted? The worst one decommitted. And you mentioned uh, they had Asbury and, and uh, Harrison off the bench to try to add some shot. Maybe. Sunbelt, guys. Yep, Sunbelt. Yeah, they got to be six through eight in the rotation. I'm not too worried about that. The one thing I am worried about, and, and the one the, the one negative thing I have to say about this Oklahoma State team, I, I'm fine with their top end talent, their front court, their bench, bounce back guys, defense. I, I like it all. The one thing I'm concerned about is a transfer point guard. Yeah. And and John John Michael Wright was not seen as like a, a, a top shelf transfer. He was not a blue chipper, no question. He was like a middle of the road transfer point guard, and Looks like the keys are in his hands. It, 
they don't have a ton of other options. Uh, big, big year at high point, but I mean, we've seen the biggest names in the point guard portal struggle from, from the get go. I mean, Devonte Jones, Marion Jackson, Storm Murphy struggled to start the year. It, it, it seems to really hold these teams back. Um, and he's never been a he's never been a high assist guy either. He's a he's a scorer, and he can really put him up. I mean, he 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 made he put up nearly six threes a game, made thirty six percent last year. He averaged twenty a game in twenty one. Like he can really really score, and he's a good point of attack defender, even though he's a little small. But he's never averaged more than three and a half assists. Because uh, on on the CBS pod the, the other day, I I don't remember what team they were talking about. I think it was Creighton. I think this was a Creighton-specific pod. And, and Norlander said something to the effect of, you know, sometimes teams disappoint. I was like, oh, yeah, no kidding, bud. But then he, was, but then he, he made the, the point that I completely forgot about. Last year in the preseason, everyone had Michigan top five or, like, top eight. Yeah. And then it got, got me thinking, why, why did we have Michigan so high as I was looking at that roster again? And it was mainly Devontae Jones. I mean, he was an NBA prospect. He went to the Combine. We just, yeah, we just assumed that Devontae Jones would be as good, if not better, than Mike Smith because they figured it out with Mike Smith, who was a big question mark at the point. I, I would have bet my life that he was going to be better than Mike. Than, uh, Mike also, Devont, Devontae didn't have a bad year, especially on the he stretch. He started Mike slow, and so did Michigan. He started slow, and then the freshmen weren't good. Like, Caleb Houston was awful. Yeah. Um, but, yes, you're, you're correct. Like, the transfer point guard, there have been a lot of hit and miss. So, you have him 41? Yeah. I think, there's a, I think there's a good chance this team gets back to the tournament. I think they're probably a tournament team. Yeah. I, I have seven Big 12 tournament teams. Five top 25 teams. How about that? Um, where to next? Where's our next team? Be Iowa State, right? You would think, but let's confirm. It's Oklahoma. Actually, we'll do Iowa State first. Alphabetical. They both went 7-11 and 11 in the league. Uh, Iowa State goes 7-11 and then goes to the Sweet 16, uh, which, again, well, well, let's say it again. They pulled it out of their ass in every way. Uh, great year. Unbelievable year for Ots. Cannot credit him enough for the job that they did. But, like, start 12-0, and then go 3-9 and in the league, then lose your final three games in an end of the tournament. Yes, was pulled out of your ass to go to the Sweet 16. T- Isaiah Brockington randomly becoming an NBA player after being, like, third or fourth best player at Penn State. That's... That's why. I mean, Isaiah Brockington got a two-way despite being on an ACL. Both of – so I I think both of the Pelicans' two-way guys are going to have torn ACLs. Him and wow. EJ Liddell. Wild. I still have no idea that EJ tore his ACL, so sorry, EJ. But this is definitely a new-looking Iowa State team with Brockington gone and Tyrese Hunter gone. That was the heartbeat of this group. Uh, Brockington's ability to get downhill, uh, make shots, make plays. He was fearless. And then Hunter's ability at the point of the attack, of attack defensively, his ability to pass, um, those two guys really were the the heartbeat of Iowa State. They're gone, but they bring in some pieces from the portal, some major pieces. There's Shuno Shuni, the headliner. He comes in from St. Bonaventure. His St. Bonaventure teammate Jaron Holmes also joins the fray. Oshuni is an elite, elite rim protector. Really, really good defensive player. Um, as good as there is in college basketball with his timing, his instincts. Uh, his physicality, his length, he's got elite tools. And Holmes is a really good off-the-dribble shot maker. 
he just struggled last season shooting the ball, especially uh, in conference play. He was a big reason that Bonaventure kind of stagnated and never was quite as good as people thought they would be, was that his year last year wasn't quite as good as he was the previous season. Um, and it just, it just killed their offense shooting the ball. And yes, he averaged, you know, 14, 5, and 4, which is a big deal in that league. But the shooting numbers dropped. He went from 38% as a, as a, as a junior to 27 as a senior. Uh, and there was a stretch again. I mean, uh, I'm going to, I want to pull his game log because it was just unbelievable how cold he went there, uh, for a stretch. And, and they had no bench. So, I mean, he just, he had to shoot out of it. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to so Jaron Holmes, starting with the Virginia Tech game when he shot 0 for 6 through, uh, you know, basically a, a month, 10 game stretch here. For the 10 games from the UConn loss to the middle of February when they were basically out of the at large mix by losing to Richmond and Fordham back, or Richmond and Davidson back to back, he shot 31% from the field and 18% from three. So they're going to need more consistent play from Holmes. Uh, they also had Jeremiah Williams, big point guard from Temple. They had uh, talented freshman Eli King. They had two transfers up front and Trey King and Hassan Ward, who should be in the mix of the rotation. Uh, and then they bring back Gabe Talcher and Aliaz Kuntz, as well as Caleb Grill and Robert Jones in this rotation. You're, you're in on the uh, Cyclones. Explain. I think that this defense is going to be really good. Especially, I mean, it looks like that they might give Ward and Oshunini a go together. Just have like a ton of length and shot blocking. I'm, you know, they, they have a lot of different options in this front court. I mean, Robert Jones started last year. Oshunini is one of the best bigs in the country. Kuntz is like an awesome role player. Hassan Ward was one of my deep sleepers. I really loved him last year. I thought he was going to be a great high major pickup in the offseason. And then they got Trey King at the midseason mark from, from, from Georgetown. I mean, that's that's a good amount of talent, good amount of experience. Defensively, it should be awesome. The, the backcourt's where, where the uh, question marks are. I'm the 38th overall, too, just as an aside. I, I, it's tough because at one point we thought that they were going to have A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, who's off now to, I think, Milwaukee Bucks in a two-way. He's, He's the missing piece. What was that? He's the missing piece, yeah. Right. He would have provided the shot-making and the point guard play, I guess, and then you could bring either Jeremiah Williams, you know, probably Williams off the bench at, as the sixth man. Williams last year in, in conference play for Temple, um, 10 points, four assists, 27% from three, but the thing about him is he has great size. It's 6'5". You're going to need Kalsher and Holmes to shoot it better. I think both guys have, have the capability of being good double-figure scorers in, in in the Big 12. It's just going to come down to Williams to kind of be a solid point guard and unlock this group. So I've I've moved Iowa State down a few spots while we've talked about them. Because I'm looking at this offense and I'm just like, how is this team going to score, Brad? I mean, like, play defense. They're going to, but they did. So, so 
so last year, they were the fifth best defense in the country. Do we think they'll be substantially better than that? So they lose Hunter and Brock. Hunter, great defender. Brockington, great defender. And Condit was very good. Condit's not as good as Oshuni. He's an upgrade there. But... Nor Ward. Huh? Nor Ward. Eh, I don't think it's a huge gap with Ward, but yes. There. I mean, I just like... their leading scorer might be Jalen Holmes. Better and for worse. Right. But I, like think, the... I think Williams, Kalsher, Holmes... Kalsher, inconsistent shooter. Holmes, inconsistent shooter. Williams, inconsistent shooter. I Coon. think those four perimeter guys could could all get to double figures and a little bit more. It's gonna be an ugly offense, but the defense is gonna be awesome. And they were ugly on offense last year. Like they were they were 171st in offense last year, and they should be like substantially worse than they were that, on offense. Right? That seems un unlikely. I mean, it does seem unlikely, but like on paper, should they be a worse really offense? Number. Huh? 171 is a really bad number. I know. Like that's what I'm. That's what's breaking my brain. Like, like this offense, like, should not be good. And I, I mean, Oz has had good offenses before, although never without Mike Dom. So last year was the worst offense of TJ Osselberger's career, which is kind of funny. I have faith. Caleb Grill's a nice player. Kuntz is a nice player. They'll they'll figure it. They, I'm I'm willing to bet that they finish in the top. I'll go. They'll, they'll finish in the top 120 in offense. Okay, put it on the prop bet sheet. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I've got Iowa State 44th overall nationally. I had them 37th, and I moved them down to 44 after the discussion. I the 38. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. I, I like. I'm pretty sure they're gonna suck on suck on offense. Anyway, right now Iowa State, and and you want to use Ken Palm? Yeah. Yeah, Ken Palm. 119 and a half is a fine number for me. Excellent. All right. Get on Iowa State. Should we go to Oklahoma. Do it. Best team in Ken Palm last year, not to make the NCAA tournament. You have 30th overall uh, finish, beat Baylor in the uh, in the conference tournament as part of a four-game flurry at the end of the year that helped them get back into the mix after starting 4-11 and in the conference, uh, but dropped a close one to Texas Tech by one in the conference tournament uh, semifinal, and the committee left the Sooners out. They lose Jordan Goldwire, point guard, Elijah Harkless, Umoja Gibson. Uh, so some pieces certainly. Depart Great this defenders. Group. Great defenders, no question about that. Uh, but there's a there's a good group of incoming talent here with Grant Sherfield and Joe Bamasiel, highly regarded transfers from Nevada and uh, George Washington, respectively, or respectively, and both have gotten waivers, which is important because both were second time transfers. They are good to go. Um, they bring back the front court with Jalen Hill and Tanner Groves. I think I might be the biggest Jalen Hill fan in the country. I love the arc. I love that style of player. Like that. Just like Jalen Bridges. Yeah. And like, yes. But Hill is that like big, kind of thicker bodied four man who's like athletic enough where you could bump him down to the three. Um, but he can rebound his spot. He can rebound up to the five. He can stretch the floor. He can take you off the bounce. You can isolate him on a side. He's a really talented player. And then Groves back for a fifth year. Um, eventually tournament fam in Eastern Washington. He had a very nice year in the Big 12. 
can stretch the floor, uh, can bang inside. He's really, really good. Um, a lot, I think, riding on some of these younger guards. Milos Uzan, who they bring in. Otega Owe was a top 75 recruit, played on team final with Jalen Duran and Imani Bates. Um, CJ Noland, who was there as a freshman. Um, Bajan Cortez, same deal. Uh, and they also brought in a little extra size up front with, or one more guard too, Benjamin Schroeder, who's I believe German. Uh, and then they brought in, brought in a little extra size up front with Yaya Kida, uh, from Mizzou, kind of a roll of the dice in a bad big man market. So, um, definitely a new look group, um, challenge for Porter Mosier culture, kind of setting, set, you know, trying, trying to, trying to do it year to year. It's not something he had a lot of experience having to do at Loyola Chicago. Um, but I thought they, they did a nice job last year, all things considered. I think you have to consider it a relatively successful year one. Obviously, the tournament's the goal, but they built the tournament caliber team. And I don't, I don't necessarily think you want to throw stones there. A uh, couple big staff moves with them. They lost David Patrick, um, who is off to be the head coach at Sacramento State. Uh, and they also lost – who's the other guy they lost from their staff? I'm playing here. I know they made two oh, hires. Florida, right? Oh yes, Carlin Hartman. No, no, he was at UNLV last year. Excuse me. Um, but they did lose another another staffer, who's a big deal. I just want to I want to have this right because uh, I don't know why I can't remember it. But either way, um, they did make good, decent hires. They had Matt Brady. Oh, they lost Katie Turner to Kentucky. But Katie Turner and David Patrick, two of the most well-regarded assistant coaches in college basketball. Uh, one goes to Kentucky, one gets a head coaching job. That's a big deal. And they replaced him with Matt Brady and Ryan Humphrey. That's going to hurt them, I think, longer-term recruiting. I don't think either guy's going to be as tight in in Texas, able to kind of navigate the waters quite as well as Patrick and Katie Turner did. I don't know that it impacts them this year, but it's a bit of a watch down the line. Um, but I think relatively successful year one, and a team that I think should be in the mix to be in the NCAA tournament again in year two. I have them 51st, just missing the tournament. Eighth in the Big 12. So what do you what do you what do you what are you missing here with this group? So I think that they have reasonable tournament talent. Yeah, but but I have them eight eighth. Mm-hmm. I, I I prefer the the defense and the Anderson Thompson duo of Oklahoma State to I think you'd say that well, the, the two best players on Oklahoma as Tanner Groves and Sherfield. Hill's a fine starter. Um, their defense should should take a big step back. I mean, that two-yard spot going from – or just their wing core in general going from Gibson and, and, and Harkless to now Damasiel and then maybe one of the freshmen, like Otega Owe, who should be very good in time. He had a great, a great summer AAU. is I think, team final. Um, Correct. As I like at Athletic kind of scoring wing type. Um, C.J. Nolan was a fringe rotation guy. I, I just think their backcourt will be better than last year. I mean, like, Goldwire was steady and, like you said, a great defender. But he turned it over. He's not a great shooter, like, you know, inefficient. I, I think there's an upgrade to be had with Sherfield and Bama Seal. as two, like, more skilled guys who can both get to the rim. Bama Seal looked really good for GW last year. Like, he looked the part. Man, like he's he's talented as heck, and I love all these you know potential options like you mentioned with you know, guys like Noland and Cortez, 
uh, Schroeder, and then the freshman with Uzam and uh, Owe. I love the options here. I think at least one of them. I'm big on Uzam in particular. I just think that he'll be an impact piece for them right away, a guy that can be a starting caliber big tall guard, one of the better freshmen in the league, one of the better non-one-and-done freshmen in the league, certainly. I think overall this uh, bench is is probably on the weak side compared to other tournament caliber yeah. teams. You have the two top runs of freshmen I always mentioned. You have two fringe rotation guys from last year with Cortez and Groves, and Yaya Kita, who didn't play very much for Missouri last year, and that's that's a light bench. Can can Sherfield kind of blend the pieces? Can can he be the starter on a a good winning team? We'll see. Nevada really blew up last year after they had a lot of expectation. You know, this is a tournament caliber roster. It's just yeah, there's not enough spots. Like some of the other teams they have just narrowly missing or or, or narrowly making the tournament, like Notre Dame, Texas A&M, St. John's, Rutgers, Cincinnati. I I think Oklahoma is not any higher or lower than any of those teams. That's 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 just a big clump for me. Probably two or three of those teams make the tournament, and the rest is out. I've got OU 40th, so sixth in the Big 12, but it's a big clump there with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, 40 through 44, all in that mix. And then uh, we'll get to later West Virginia. I also have a top 50 team, which we'll touch on in a bit. So you have eight tournament teams from, from the Big 12? I have West Virginia 49th, so. That, that means they probably miss. Right, 50-50. Um, but I believe if that's all on Oklahoma, we can go to Kansas State, who came in ninth last year in Bruce Weber's last hurrah, 61st in Ken Palm. I think probably better than – if you if you had told me Kansas State was 61st in Ken Palm last year, like in preseason, you would have said, okay, maybe uh, maybe Weber made it. But he did not. They still went 14-17, and 17, still 6-12 and 12 in the league, finished with five or six straight losses, which certainly didn't help his case. Um, brand new team. Um, pretty much the only guys that are back are Marquise Noel and Ishmael Masood. I don't know why I said pretty much those are the only guys back. Um, Nigel Pack is the big loss from that group. He was a first team all conference guy, but Noel was actually their highest usage player. Um, in term, it was a high, high assist guy, had a really good assist turnover ratio. Um, crafty getting to the basket. I know he's only five foot eight, but he's a legit point guard. Uh, for them to build on. And we talked about this roster a ton in the off seasons because they've made so much movement. So I don't want to beat a dead horse here. Um, but this is mostly kind of mid-major class of transfers coming in. And quite frankly, it's not like the – it's not the tier one or really even the tier two transfers from mid-majors. You know, Tyke Green was is a two-time transfer. He was an average player in Manhattan, had a good year last year at Stony Brook. Now he moves up to Kansas State. Uh, you have also, uh, in that mid-major mold, Abayomi Yola, who was like an eight and eight guy at, um, Hofstra, was a ten and five guy, steps in at one point, uh, sat at Arkansas, never really played there when he's made the jump up. David N. Gasson, who left, uh, Virginia Tech, he was a guy that I think was a, when I saw him go in the portal, I said, that's a guy that the A-10 should be looking at. That's a guy that the Mac should be looking at. He winds up in, in the Big 12 with K-State. They bring in a couple of those, um, unproven top recruits who never really got a chance to play at their first stops, Cameron Carter and Jarrell Colbert. Uh, you know, so, so, so you, you wonder, is there just enough here? But 
The Keontae Johnson move is a big one. Without question, it gives him real upside. If Keontae is anywhere close to what he was at Florida, he's one of the best players in the country. Um, whether that's realistic to expect is anyone's guess. But with Noel, with Johnson, with Desi Sills, and I think enough of these kind of lottery tickets that I think you have a decent-ish rotation, um, you feel pretty good that this team could at least compete for a postseason burst. Maybe not the NCAA tournament like Tang has spoken quite a bit about. And I am a huge Jerome Tang believer, by the way. Like, it is entertaining as hell watching Jerome Tang, like, run around the student section at football games and, like, dance with people and go to the frat lots and play basketball, pick up basketball with people. Like, Jerome Tang is loving life, and I am here for it. I think it's sick. I think he's going to get this thing right. He is so kind of energized about this thing. But I just don't think they have the Jimmys and Joes yet. I think that's a that's that's the that's the downfall here to go to the tournament. Anything to add to that, Brad? We may have lost Brad here in the uh, interim, so uh, we'll be we wait and see if his audio ever returns. I was getting very impressed with. Uh, Jerome Tang's kind of personality and his energy. Um, I just think that his ability to connect with people is going to be special. And I just like, I, I, I would be stunned if Jerome Tang doesn't kind of get this thing going at Kansas State. I'm a, I'm a believer in him as a person. And I just think that. Oop, there we go. That might be, that might be Brad. Uh, um, class. Hear that? We didn't, we didn't get any of what you just said, so. No, I just said that it was a very underwhelming transfer class. And it was oh, yeah. like, in like the fantasy basketball or football auction, when like you wait till the end, when like you have all, all your money. And then you're just picking up all like these mid-level guys and you have more money than everyone so you can overpay. That's like what they did. They waited so late and just got like the best five guys that were still left on like June 15th. They had so many spots. I mean, I don't, I don't envy them with what they had to fill. So where do you have them nationally, Brad? Kansas State? Yes. Out of the South 100. Whoa. I needed, I needed more uh, mid-majors. Keontae Johnson is a good player. He was a good player. Will, will he still be a good player? That's fair. I have him 70th. Okay. I'm drinking a little Tang Kool-Aid. I'm excited about him. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna have a huge home court advantage this year. That's the other thing. Um, Why? Their fan base, man. They're 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 energized. It, it always it always mystified me. How Bruce Weber couldn't recruit at the level that they won. I didn't know why it was, but they were making Elite Eight. You know, they had good teams with Dean Wade and Wesley Wundu. And and they just, I mean, they brought in Nigel Pack, but he wasn't a very highly regarded recruit. And guys like Selden Miguel and Luke Kabuki and Davion Bradford, they just, you would figure a team with that level of winning could get more top 100 recruits. And the guys that they did get, for the most part, didn't elevate them to where they should be. 
I think we saw it coming. I mean, obviously not to the extent that we did, like, we called the shot with Mizzou. But, like, you can look three years ahead, two, three years ahead and say, like, they're going to be in trouble now. Like, they're, they better do some shit in the portal because the, the stuff they're getting on the high school guys aren't going to be good enough. And I think we saw that with Big and Bradford. We saw that with Delton Miguel. We saw that with, you know, these guys. And just, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out forever because – I do think he's a really good ball coach, but I do think this thing needed more juice and more energy, and you couldn't kind of foil Weber's staleness anymore with the energy that Jerome Tang brings everywhere. And I'm excited to see that out. And lastly, we have West Virginia, which you are mystifyingly high on because you're, you're in on Trey Mitchell resurgence after he, he quit Texas when he was a starter. You're, you're, you're hating on these, these kids leaving. It's poorly. It's, what? These kids are going through a lot, Brad. I mean, come on. I mean, most of the time when people leave midseason, they're not starting, you know, they're, they're not playing, or there's, like, another issue at, at hand. Or at least you, there's very few instances where a guy leaves midseason and you're, like, stunned. That's true. That's true. And speaking of, like, talent level, I mean, these guys, Eric Stevenson, he was he was solid last year on, on a bad team. He's, he's going to, you know, Emmett Matthews, again, solid on a bad team. Joe Ch- I mean, Evan Matthews has proven to be good enough to be the starting power forward on, like, a tournament-level West Virginia team. He's already done it. Were those tournament teams? I mean, I think the COVID year team was, no? Let's see. Bob Huggins. Yeah, the, 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 the 2021 team got a three seed, right? And Evan the- Matthews started 25 games. They got a three seed? Or excuse me, he started, he didn't, he didn't. He started minutes. Yeah, that three seed. They went 19 there. and 10. They got a three seed? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm reading Ken Pound. They beat Moorhead State in the first round and they, beat, they lost to Syracuse. With Deuce McBride and Derek Culver and Taz Sherman and Oscar Sheepway getting run off midseason. Well, I, I think you just explained it right there why that team with Evan Matthews is different than this team with Eric Matthews. It's Deuce McBride versus Joe Toussaint. <laughs> That's true. So, so, so here, here's the like, legit take on West Virginia. I think Trey Mitchell can be like an offensive focal point at this level. I really do. I think the guard play, while not great, I think will be very good defensively with Toussaint. Toussaint's fine, yeah. Tedrian Johnson, they're both good defenders. Uh, I think Tucson might be a little bit better offensively in a non like all like, not on non like super spacing offense like Iowa's. I think uh, a more kind of downhill aggressive team will fit him well. I think Matthews is solid. I think Stevenson's solid. I think the JUCO guy like Jimmy Bell will be solid. Wagyu is an interesting piece. So apologies if I mispronounced Mister Muhammad Wagyu's name. Um, they've got some of these younger guys as well, like Roll of the Dices, and so I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bullish, but, like, 
They actually were not, like, they didn't suck last year. They just lost a shit ton of court games. Like, I don't think they're that far off. I don't think they were that far off last year. I don't think it was a huge gut job. I think the pieces they brought in are how, are good, solid pieces. And we shouldn't forget, like, Bob Huggins is an awesome coach. Like, Bob Huggins is still one of the best coaches in the country. He still, you know, more often than not has teams in the top 25. Um, any time for Western Union, they've had more teams, more, I believe they have more teams top 25 finishes than they've had teams outside of the top 25 in the time of West Virginia. I'm going to confirm that right now. Um, I mean, that's, that's like the same thing with all these old coaches. Like, like if you count the number of Sweet 16s that Jim Beheim went to, you, you'll like fall off your couch. Right, but in the last 15 years that Bob Huggins been at West Virginia, he has, he's had double the number of top 25 finishes as he's had uh, non-top 25 finishes. Yeah, well, recently hasn't gone as well. I mean, his last five years, he has three top 25 finishes. And two four and four teams. That's true. They were, they were top 25 the year that COVID canceled the tournament? They were 10th. Huh. Hmm. Despite being 9-9 nine and nine in the Big 12. I mean, there is some serious Big 12 sh- chicanery oh. with... Well, the Big 12 and Ten Palm are, like, in bed together, I think. It's crazy. Because they seem to don't, like, they don't, like, dominate the non-conference. Right, they just then play each other for two months. And, say, yeah. and then just... Well, kind of, Bradley, West, West Virginia last year went 11-1 and one in the non-conference. Or 11-2 if you count uh, Arkansas, lost Arkansas in the uh, SEC Big 12. Yeah, but that's not dominating. Everybody goes eleven and two. I mean, they beat UConn. They won a neutral game against Clemson. Their only loss was Marquette on a neutral. They beat UAB on the road. That was not a bad non-conference. It's not dominating though. That's a pretty good non-conference. Every year. every high major team goes eleven and two or ten and three. They, 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 they had, they had that won. was UConn without half their team. They didn't have Sunogo. <laughs> or Tyrese Martin in that game. Don't think I forgot about the Asterix. You can't do the Asterix, Brad. We've already been over this. Apparently apparently we can't. I can't wait to see the Asterix that get thrown around this year. I I haven't forgotten. The reverse COVID missing person. It's going to be great. I, I have not forgotten about the Asterix. Are you, uh, where do you have West Virginia National, Brad? Just so we're, I'll have you on the record. I'm 49. I have them 70th. Okay, so that's where I have Kansas State, so. Uh, I have them in, in, in there with VCU, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, Georgia, Colorado, Georgetown, yeah, Drake. I think, I, I think you're making a mistake over, uh, underestimating the Big 12's Ken Palm boost. Yeah, this is like toss Kansas State in there at like 80, even if you think they suck. I mean, I, I have five, uh, sorry, I, I have eight teams in the top 51. That's, that's, that's 80% of the league. That's, that's my Kempom boost right there. Fair enough. And that can't last forever. Come on. We'll see. It definitely can't last when they add BYU and 
Central Florida. But. You wouldn't think. All right. Well, that's the Big Twelve. Uh, quickly, just we always do. We do these kind of hot seat feel outs. Um, I don't think that anyone's seat is at all like hot. Could uh, Huggins retire? Huggins could retire. That's probably if you were ranking most likely reasons for vac- most likely vacancies in the league, you'd probably be Huggins one. Mike Voighton, too, to leave for another job. Yeah. I think it's tossed in there a lot because he's relatable, has won, is like a, has good energy, like very connected. Like, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll pause in another wild card there. I think Porter Mosier, like low key, would be an, is an interesting jump candidate. Like, I could see like a soft landing this year or next if they don't, if things don't go well. Like, if Mike Bray retired at Notre Dame, I guarantee you Porter Mosher will try for that job. He will try like help for that job. I like, I think Porter Mosher should try for Northwestern next year if they don't make the tournament this year at Oklahoma. I think they will. But if they don't make the tournament, Porter Mosher should go for the Northwestern job. Get a fresh six year deal. Get out of the, get out of the rat race of the Big 12 and recruiting. SEC soon. Yeah, so I'm going to worry about NIL and go to the, go to the, get, get to the Big Ten and go play your grind out basketball. If, um, if, uh, K- Kentucky won't build Calipari as practice facility, yeah. he should go to like St. John's or something. Basketball first. <laughs> that would be very funny. Um, last thing on the podcast before we wrap up. Brad, you have, you have something you want to say about the recruiting period and a certain, uh, Davin Crosby. Yeah, Tavin Crosby, top 100 recruit, late stock, or summer stock riser. Summer stock, yeah. He's in like the 90s. See a tweet, because Friday was the first day coaches could go out and see players. Friday at, at, at midnight, so Thursday night, right? See the tweet, Steve Forbes met with Davin Crosby at midnight. They had an at-home visit at midnight on a Thursday night, Friday morning. A couple hours later, you see another tweet. Nate Oates, or, or, or it's, a, it's a Wake Forest met with Crosby at midnight, then Alabama met with Crosby at midnight. I I need to know the specifics behind this. Like, did Crosby, I think he has a Final Five list. Did he ask all five to come at midnight and only two did? Did he just ask certain coaches to come at midnight? Did these coaches offer to come at midnight to show that he was so important. Did, did did both those guys show up at midnight and have a dual at home visit? Did yeah, did 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 like Nate Oaks have to like wait in the car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like did Forbes he come in and like hold the court for a few minutes and then like Nate Nate just like sat in his like car like bumping music at midnight? Did he get like a text when it's okay to come inside? This, this, this is all too too weird. I'm selling my Davin Crosby stock before having even seen him play. Well, it is interesting. I will I will I will say that Mr. Mr. Crosby is not the only one. There was like, there's been a few of these. Like, it's all it's apparently new. Like, no one's done this before. Or like, you get like the midnight texts on Twitter yeah. over here. But there's been like a new. Uh, but there's been like a, a new thing this year where like coaches are just going to people's houses at midnight. Like uh. Baylor's whole staff went to go see Trey Johnson, who's the best player in 2024, at midnight. 
Um, there's a few others that I saw. So I'm not going to say it's just Mr. Crosby, but having two schools at midnight was very intriguing. Very intriguing. Lots of questions. <laughs> Why? Lots of questions. Why would you want to? I, I don't get any of this. It's so crazy. People go to sleep. Some of you guys just love being recruited. Midnight's for watching TV or sleeping, not for in in home meetings. People just love being recruited. Okay. Alrighty, folks. That's another episode. We'll have more next week on the pod. Appreciate you all listening. As always, uh, this has been fun. We'll come with another conference this time next week.